Hey, welcome back to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powers, Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. It's been a long time and our apologies. Um, 2020 happened in a pretty big way for everybody, but it definitely got in the way of our podcasting capacity. So it's been a year, I think. Um, We're back now, hopefully on a monthly basis from now on, and we've also got some uh, new faces and changes to our lineup. We also plan to keep the podcast as topical as we can this year. Uh, We still wanna be focused on the key legal issues in employment law. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners, clients, people that are interested. But where possible, we're going to try and keep it centred on things that have arisen in the mainstream media. Um, This month, we couldn't look past the Uber Eats cases, which have been in the news and have brought the issue of independent contractors back into spotlight again. Um, Uber Eats have apparently argued before the federal court that their delivery workers were independent contractors, and among other things, they were free to abandon their deliveries at any time, which has created some interesting commentary. Now, I haven't read the cases, but I've asked our associate, Emily Riera, and our solicitors, Essie Miravara and Courtney West, to join me today to have a look at some of the issues that have arisen out of it. Um, From a broad perspective, I think, to summarise this issue, it's really been an issue for a long time. Um, The introduction of sort of digital platforms within what's what's now being called the gig economy, um, which is making innovative work opportunities available for sort of gig workers in a, in a range of industries. I think the two that have been in the courts a lot are the, are the sort of ride sharing and food delivery industries. Um, and this has really become a, a sort of a global issue. Latest one in Australia, Uber Eats, Courtney, you've read it. Tell us all about it. Yes, I have. So the Uber Eats case was involving a delivery driver, Amita Gupta, and she broke cars and did deliveries for Uber Eats. Um, And the way they do that is through an app where they get notifications for deliveries that are required. And her access to the app was permanently blocked after two years of delivering. And she took that to mean that her employment with Uber Eats had been dismissed and then um, took an application to the Fair Work Commission for unfair dismissal. And obviously the first thing to consider there is whether she was an employee of Uber Eats and therefore protected from unfair dismissal under Section 382 of the Fair Work Act. Yes, important to note for for those that don't, don't know the jurisdictional issues, it wouldn't normally be the Fair Work Commission that decides whether someone's a worker or independent contractor, but being a um, being that being an employee is a jurisdictional sort of precondition of of access to unfair dismissal. Obviously, that's the first thing they decide. So, um, what did they decide? Yes, so they decided that she was an independent contractor. Yeah, and they applied the multi factor test in Stevens and Bodrum. Which Emily. Yeah. <laughs> the multi-factor test is? So actually there is no definition under the Fair Work Act of what makes a particular worker an employee as opposed to an independent contractor. So that's the reason why um, that the courts have been decided that and they have highlighted some factors that you need to take into account to decide whether this person and the relationship should be an employment relationship or qualified as an independent contractor. So, as you say, it's in Stevens and Broadrip that they have highlighted some factors that we need to take into account. So the first one is the exclusivity of service. 
So the question is whether the employee is working exclusively for the employer or whether, in the case of a contractor, it would be free to provide services to multiple clients. So that would be one of the factors to take into account. And another one, and the most important one, as we'll see in those decisions, is the degree of control over how the work is performed. And the degree of control will takes into account um, whether the principal controls the times and location of work, but also control over how the work is carried out by the workers. And this is different from an independent contractor with advice of the desired outcome, but then it's up to him or her to utilize their skills, knowledge, and time to achieve this. Um, another factor that the court has been taking into account is the power to delegate work to others. And that's something that we'll talk about later with the uh, Uber contract, whether their employees or independent contractor, whether which way we go, are able to delegate their work or not. And another factor is the provision of equipment. And for example, with those uh, delivery drivers, uh, we cannot that they own their own equipment, actually. When, when you are an employee, you don't have to bring your equipment. Another factor is the ongoing obligation to accept work. And we also take into account the method of remuneration and whether income tax is deducted by the employer. So that means that then it will be probably an employee, whether in the case of independent contractors, they will probably have an, an ABM. Yeah, and have to manage their own financial affairs completely. Yeah. yeah. And one of the and last factors that have been taken into account is paid leave. Employees receive paid leave, such as annual personal leave or low service leave. In the case of the casuals, they get a casual loading, but independent contractor don't receive PLB. Yeah, and that's pretty, I mean, and as you say, it's a multi-factor test, but I think um, in reality, there's a few factors that are generally considered the more definitive ones. Um, and really the main one is that control. I mean, I think the control seems to be the the, the, the one that's, that's most definitive. I mean, there are others. I mean, when you do have a power to delegate, that's that's pretty convincing. And the equipment one is interesting. The, the other case, Hollis and, and Vabu also, more than a generation old, which is the authoritative case. I mean, I know there was a couple of cases on on that one in the end. I, th I believe that the ones that drove cars were independent contractors, but the ones that rode bicycles were not. And so it's kind of because the provision of equipment, the provision of a car is sort of more significant. But um, definitely control is the one that the courts keep to seem to come back to. And, and you know, I think it's it's well expressed in the, in the ancient formulation um ancient, so the, probably the, the, the English courts, um, when they first tackled this, you know, used to describe it as being the difference between a contract of service and a contract for services. And, and in effect, a contract of service is where you're contracted to provide your service as an employee. And a contract of services is where you're actually providing services. And the control test becomes a real factor. How much do you want to control the employee? And so really, so what did they decide in... You know, how did they apply the factors in the commission, uh, you know, to, to Uber Eats? Because I would have thought that 
the app tells them exactly what they have to do. Yeah. So, like you said, control was a big factor yeah. in the outcome of Uber Eats' decision. So, basically, the Fair Work Commission found that Gupta had significant control over the work. So, when she started, as in when she logged into the app, how long she was logged into the app, which request she accepted, the type of vehicle, obviously, you can drive or ride a bicycle, um, and they claimed that Uber had soft control through a delivery rating system, uh, route suggestions, and setting the maximum fees. So they actually said that that weighs against the finding of an employment relationship. So that was that was a key point. Yeah. Uh, so that decision was appealed to the Fair Work Commission full bench. Um, and again, they found that she was an independent contractor, except this time they said there were three critical factors to that decision and they called them the essential hallmarks of an employment relationship, again, being the exercise of control and that um, the delivery rider was able to perform work through competitor apps at the same time and also that she was not presented as an animation of Uber Eats. So as in didn't have to wear Uber Eats uniform, logos, anything of the sort. And really, again, it just came down to the fact that she could decide when and for how long she was using that app, although it is important to note that if you didn't accept three delivery requests in a row, you were actually logged out of the app and your access um, wasn't blocked, but you then had to choose to log back yeah. in. So there was a slight element of control, but soft control. Soft control. Yeah, it seems pretty pretty essential control to me in that sense. You know, fundamentally, you if you don't do it, very well, they cut you off. Would would indicate a degree of control, mm -hmm. but so so from that point of view, and I and I guess that's for for listeners that are, are not law nerds like we are. I think that that's the important distinction. So it goes to the full bench, the Fair Commission. That's not a binding authority yet, even though um, in, in an odd way, the it's recognised that the Fair Commissioners have have an expert industrial knowledge. They're not judges. They're not kind of chapter three courts um, in the meaning of our constitution. So they don't actually make common law, which which is binding. So next stage, they go to judicial review. Is that right to the federal court? Yeah. Yeah. So then got taken to the federal court for judicial review, and actually we only have access to the transcript. The matter was settled out of court after this hearing took place. Um, but they did seem, the federal court seemed a little bit more sceptical. So they of finished it. the hearing, but then reserved judgment and then they settled. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, again, a lot of the discussion in the hearing was around control and I guess they were sort of more questioning whether the control aspect was practically what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the federal court is where they said that they were free to abandon. Yeah. Uh, so in the federal court, Uber submitted, um, I guess, to support their position that they didn't have significant control over their riders. They said that their riders were free to abandon meals and that they were agnostic uh, to the point in time that deliveries were cancelled by yeah. the delivery riders. So they don't, they don't care when Uber Eats don't care. Yeah. When when it's delivered or yeah. if it's delivered. That their job is just to coordinate um, as to the time. That's mm. not critical. Yeah. Justice Broadberg didn't take that well. No. Um, <laughs> a lot of questions about Yeah, the, the tone, they seemed a bit sceptical um, of those claims and just did note that that seems a bit hard to imagine that that would be consistent 
with Uber's um, model to be employing people who keep absconding with meals. Yeah, and I mean, having had the benefit of being before Justice Bromberg, he's a very experienced judge, but he also is a a no-nonsense practical like most of our industrial judges and the fair work commission too Mm. they look at this as uh, they look at these issues substantively like what is actually occurring and they don't take that well to sort of um highly technical legal arguments so i that would have been quite interesting being in that courtroom i think to hear his reaction to that yeah (laughs) Yeah. at one point they did ask whether they were discussing what was happening in the real world or just the hypothetical (laughs) hypothetical contract but it is interesting and control i mean when you look at control and and this is and not being you know not wanting to seem critical of, of any of the parties or the judges or anything but but i certainly think that the the control test is something that was devised you know a long time ago um and it's become binding binding in the common law of Australia in that Stevenson Broadrib and, and Hollis and Vabu. And, and I think we're really talking about a, a very different concept of control. We're, we're, we're talking about a, a sort of a physical control, normally in that blue-collar type of context. So, I mean, Stevenson Broadrib was a sawmilling context. Um, Hollis and Vabu was ironically a bicycle couriering um, context, but quite different. We're talking back in the days with radio control, where people turned up to work and they were told exactly where to go for, for you know, whether they were working on, you know, on the clock in a time and attendance sort of manner. And I think that's where, when control tests look at that kind of time and attendance control in a physical sense, as well as what type of guidance are people getting in their work? Are they being told how to do their work, or is it just a product? It doesn't really capture this digital concept where you've got this opportunity through your phone to work for a multitude of different people um, and the app and it's a very innovative idea. I mean, certainly it blows your mind if you look back even just 15, 20 years ago, the idea that you could just get food from anywhere um, in one app. Um, but it, but it, does, it does raise the question of whether the common law is appropriate or not for this type of industrial activity and and i think that's what we're we're finding but but the other thing that you know that's quite interesting that i was going to get you to talk about essie because you've done the reading and i haven't (laughs) is they've now made some changes to the model haven't they yeah that's right so So we saw this in the where did we get this from sydney morning herald or it was just all over the news and since then it's kind of gone around guardian did it yeah um but yeah so uber eats has introduced a new contract for its drivers um, so it's due to take effect on the 1st of March, and they've clarified that this is just the first draft, uh, right. and they're open to feedback. Um, it does seem like this is a response to the federal court um, hearing. Um, but yeah, so essentially the contract emphasizes that the drivers are self-employed, um, and that there is no employment relationship between the driver and Uber. Um, it also now requires that all drivers register for an ABN, for tax purposes, um, which I think was surprising that they didn't already have that in there. Um, Mm. And drivers are allowed to delegate their deliveries to others, uh, provided that the delegates are approved by Uber. Yeah. Which goes again to that. um, Which makes you wonder if that, is that really delegating? (laughs) I mean, why would you, I mean, I, I don't really understand how that app works, but why would you, what sort of the circumstances would you do that? I mean, wouldn't you just get the other people to log in or? Yeah, I'm wondering if they're introducing some way to 
to sort of nominate delegates rather than everybody having their own. Well, in the, in the contract, they're saying that then Uber will not unreasonably withhold or delay its approval of your delegate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, like a signing a lease or something. Yeah, yeah. no, oh, yeah, fair enough. So, so in the the idea being that you could ultimately you could create a little, you could create an Uber Eats business of your own where you're the primary user and you have a team of people, you know, working for you or something yeah. like that. Um, whether whether drivers will actually do that, I'm not sure. Yeah, but are they competing? That's funny because you was um, you know, there, there was. Something about the maximum. Did you say that? No, you haven't. But there, there's some something about the maximum. The app will only set the maximum delivery fee, but the drivers are free to negotiate. Yeah. So are they negotiating against each other to get the fee down, or we yeah. don't know? Yeah. Yes. So Uber Eats they set the maximum delivery fee, and individual drivers or riders are free to negotiate a lower delivery fee, which I guess until now maybe hasn't been applicable but if you want yeah. to become competitive because you actually have your own yeah, yeah, yeah delivery yeah, yeah, business yeah, yeah. maybe that is now actually an option yeah so when you're taking two accounts that's a delivery fees is usually around seven dollars like negotiating a lower fees is not really interesting and apparently like those delivery driver are earning around ten dollars an hour yeah, right. Because so $7, you'd want to have it done pretty quick, wouldn't you? You, you know, because you, you've got to wait at the shop and then you've got to take it wherever you take it and a lot of them are on bicycles. It's, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing also it's not only like if you receive like orders all the time, you can maybe make a certain uh, amount of money, but yeah. I think they're waiting also a lot of time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. get those orders and deliver them. So that's why they only... Like get on your own ten, around ten dollars an hour. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so, what's the um? Were there other changes? Did I interrupt you? Sorry. No, that no, that's why. Right. Yeah, there was there was one more kind of fascinating addition uh, that the drivers can uh, cancel accepted requests after they've picked up the food. Right. Um, and that's the abandoning. And that's the abandoning. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's at their absolute discretion. Is the words used in the the contract? Um, but it does say that repeated failures to deliver would trigger fraud and management processes. Um, so it's still not, you know, wholly in the control of uh, the driver if they want to keep their relationship with Uber Eats by the sounds of it. Yeah. But but and it does speak really to that to that distinction in the, in the multi-factor test in the sense that um, the principal is not going to tell the contractor how to do it. They're just going to assess on the basis of results but i guess if they keep not. asking you to do it and you keep saying you will and then you don't and um, they have an issue with that and they decide to stop engaging you it, yeah it becomes a yeah a form of control but again it just makes me think that the concept of control as as expressed in the common law and how we understand in an intuitive way is is perhaps not not well equipped to deal with this new sort of digital digital model and, and it's one of the exciting things about the modern age is everything is easier um and you know the idea of an app being able to connect a consumer with a restaurant with a delivery driver it's a great idea but um but you know whether whether we need to and look globally certainly it would seem to have been um be an important thing um 
would you say that the control and like the manager has been replaced by the app and the platform in a way? Well, I th yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah. Has it not been, uh, I don't know, Uber's argument that they're not the principal in this situation, that they're just providing, they're just connecting the principal being the restaurant to the driver? Mm. Was that? Yeah, no, that was the point they made. So they're providing a service in that they have separate contracts with the consumer, yeah. with the restaurant, and they're just sort of bringing everybody together and that's that's their platform. That's yes. the service they are so providing. So it's just making in relation those people, like the restaurants, the drivers, and the final consumer. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're bringing everyone together and that's that's their purpose. Yeah. Which which it is, and and that and and that does test our our conceptions a little bit. I mean, certainly, and I'm older than you guys, so I'm allowed to be old fashioned. But I mean, I you, you pay the app, don't you? You pay the app. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you choose the restaurant on the app. So I mean, I'd be saying you're buying the food from the app. I know that's not what's happening, mm. but but that's how it feels, you know. And I'm sure you might not even know the driver's name. Well, you probably do know the driver's name. That probably tells you that that on the app does it. But I mean, you don't really have a relationship with the driver as a consumer. You have a relationship with the app. So, so I'm like getting the idea here, Brian, that you don't you don't have. I don't use Uber Eats, no. <laughs> we don't get it in Terrigal. But I use Uber, the, the car thing. Um, yeah, sorry, my ignorance. I would. I have I have the app. I can't use it because they don't um, currently deliver to my home in Terrigal. But it, it would seem to me that I can see, again, a legal technical argument that the app's got nothing to do with it. They're like a communication tool. Mm. They're like a fancy text message device that connects everybody together. But but from the consumer point of view, I think that's the that's the product you're using. What, yeah. what are we going to do for dinner tonight? I'm going to do Uber Eats. And and that's the person that collects the money and distributes the money. So in the traditional the concept, it's a business. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and the interesting thing that, that, that I, when I saw the abandoning the food, because... Um, you know, again, as someone that's never actually placed an Uber Eats order, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy about doing it if someone's going to abandon my food. But is the is the app still going to guarantee that you get the food? Like, yes, yes. Um, so I think they have said that while there might be delays if a if a driver decides or ends up abandoning the meal for whatever reason, um, you will still get it. You will just have to it. wait for them to. If they've picked up your meal and abandoned it, yeah. cook it again, get a new delivery rider or someone else to come and pick it up from the restaurant while that, it was waiting. And that, yeah. Actually, on, on the, I mean, obviously this talk about abandoning food came from the, the hearing, but in, in the contract they've said that um, for certain deliveries, the drivers can be requested to return the item to the restaurant. Um, I'm assuming if they haven't abandoned it in a dumpster and it's still good to eat, then it's just a matter of taking it back and just... And that's, yeah. I have a question. And we're not going to get into the food safety stuff. That's that a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly once it's been returned to the restaurant, it goes, no, in, goes in the bin one way or another. No, but, but let's, let's, let's stay with the old-fashioned idea and, and talk common law. I, I would think that my conception of placing an order through the app would be that my contract is with the app. Yeah. You know, I'm contracting with the app. I'm buying the food from the app. And if I don't get the food, it's the app is the one that I blame. But you so, are, because when you register with 
um, those platform, you have a contract as a consumer yeah. with them. Yeah. So in a way, you still be protected with the consumer law in Australia. Yeah. But but from the common law, which is very useful because I certainly think that we'd have some consumer law issues if you were buying food that never arrived. <laughs> I mean, you know, fit for purpose, misleading, deceptive conduct, all of those things. Um, the the implied um, consumer guarantees um, under contract, etc. But what my my issue more if we go back to this, who is the principal thing? If my contract is with the app. And the app then contract with other people. How can they not be the principal? Like yeah. I'm not contracting with the driver. I'm not contracting with the restaurant. So I, I think you know again, it's an interesting legal fiction, fascinating legal fiction. But but I just don't see it. I mean, a th- really interesting uh, amendments that certainly are, are mm. really, you know, you, you would have to presume that, that the the multi-factor test, as you said, and and the decision was is part of these changes. But um, and they're, and they're very clever. Um, it's just a case of whether it whether it does actually resolve the critical issue. Well, again, I mean, historically, the Fair Work Commission has been one to kind of put a lot of weight on the control factor yep. in these kind of cases. Um, but it, Justice Broberg in the hearing in the federal court hearing placed a bit of emphasis on whether or not Uber is sorry the drivers are an emanation of Uber, which is again about what what they appear to be. In, in reality and yeah. what, what we think when we think Uber drivers, do we think small businesses or do we think yeah. that's Uber Eats? Absolutely. And and if and if they're not an emanation, then you don't even open the door, do you? Who's <laughs> not gonna <laughs> <laughs> someone just walks up at your house. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I and I get that and the Fair Work Commission is really important because I think over time, um, from an access to justice procedural point of view these things are going to be unfair dismissals you know that's the one that's the 70 dollar application mm. is what workers tend to think of when they lose their job is i'm going to do unfair dismissal and, it, and, it, and it's going to take a little bit of organization um on the industrial level to, to bring a, a, an original jurisdiction application to a court so it's still going to be the fair commission that's assessing this and then it's going to bounce into judicial review but um it's it's very interesting that it went this far and we got the benefit of the transcript, but then but then it's settled. But um, it is. I mean, I I'd like to know, and this is where we go to our resident European qualified lawyer, Emily, <laughs> <laughs> to tell us. He's also an Australian qualified lawyer to to tell us what what's happening in Europe because I, this is a big issue in Europe, isn't it? Yes, it is true. Uh, but the position is a little bit different in in Europe, actually. So if we go uh, to France, um, the highest court in France in March 2020 uh, says that self-employed persons that we will compare to independent contractor uh, should be able to do three things: manage their clients themselves, set the prices and choose how to execute the task. And they came to the conclusion that Uber failed to comply with those three criteria. And they've got to comply with all three, is that right? They have to comply with all three. And because they did not, they state that the drivers in that case were employers. Yeah. Were employees, sorry. And um, in that case, was in relation to Uber True. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, when you say manage the clients too, because that's we don't. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because we just said we didn't know who the principal was in the relationship, which I, I, I personally don't accept. Yeah. 
But in, in many ways, are we saying that the client is the person in the car in that relationship, the passenger, so or is the, the client the app? On, I think in that case, it would be the person so the in the car for yeah, the yeah, driver. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that will also have the question about for food delivery. Yeah. Then who is the client? Yeah. That's the restaurant or the consumer? Yeah, because or, the, they, or the app. Yeah, and the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the if you three of them benefit from yeah, the yeah. service of the driver. Yeah, and with the driver example too, because we've been looking at a lot of these um, ideas, and I was saying when I was in the States, the, the every Uber I got into had like the Uber and the Lyft and they were just taking, they were just working both at once, whatever mm -hmm. fare they took, which is one of the interesting things I think we're going to talk about in a little while. But I would say in that situation, you know, you're driving around and you're thinking, I've got these two clients that I work for, one of them's Uber and one of them is Lyft. Yeah. But I think that probably what we're saying there is that in terms of managing the relationship, it needs to be the end user yeah. as the client. So, yeah, you've got to manage the relationship with the passenger set the prices and choose how to execute a task. So they, they need to comply with all three, but they actually failed on all three. Yes. Yeah, right. So that's why in that case, uh, the highest court in front decided that those drivers should be considered as employees. And the court says that Uber unilaterally determines its terms and rules, and that are all indications that drivers are more like employees of the company than yeah. self-employed. Um, however, this decision from the highest court in France has been followed by the Labour Tribunal in Paris, yeah. which will be like a little bit of the favorite commission here. And, um, and they have declared, so the um, Labour Tribunal declared itself incompetent in relation to eight individual requests for a qualification of their contract in contract of employment. Right. And they say that particular question was a commercial one and not an employment right. related. So they couldn't make a decision whether it was actually an employment contract. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of like like our commission, they're, they're bound to follow the precedent, but they've decided that it's not a precedent on them because it's commercial, not yeah. employment. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Sounds like a very stubborn <laughs> French thing to do. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, like the, the question is not settled yet, and the French government is apparently working on it and asked yeah. for a report on this question. So, obviously, even after the IRS court in France making that ruling, Yes. This is still something that is discussed and we haven't made a decision yet on what to do. Yeah, and, and, and joking aside, um, as, as we all know, one of the most important things when, when you know, the judiciary or, or tribunals or the bench generally act in a strange way or in a way that doesn't seem to fit with our expectations, it's generally a separation of powers issue where they're actually saying to the parliament, hey, You've got to do something about it. That's, that sounds yeah. like that's what's happening in a way. The, the French Parliament needs to say, okay. Yeah, and it sounds like that's what's happening in general also in Europe. Yeah, Because right. every court, separate court in Europe, are making decisions at the moment. And like, for example, that also happened in Spain in September 2020 with the Spanish Supreme Court who ruled that food delivery 
while others are employees and not self-employed workers. Yeah. So that was the decision in Spain. And in Switzerland, um, in December 2020, Uber Eats has been forced to st- no, stop using self-employed workers and now rely on delivery people employed by another company. And that's apparently the first one for Uber Eats to yeah. do this. And we like to another company who's going to employ those delivery drivers. Yeah, right. So a third, a third company. kind of agency. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, so. Which, yeah, is a yeah. It's that's interesting. I mean, the the whole thing with the courts making these decisions and being followed by the parliament too. I mean, I think it's right before our eyes in Australia in relation to casual employment. And everyone's talking about the Rosado and the skiing decisions and, and a lot of the business community is sort of outraged by these decisions and, and the potential liability. But but to me, as a you know big fan of the separation of powers, <laughs> I see that as being a call for a legislative yeah, definition, is. which is which yeah. is sort of coming, we, we, we think, um, and has a sort of bilateral support, which is unusual in Australia. But uh, I think that's it is an important part of our our legal system, that, that idea that, you know, it's where courts can't cope, can't make decisions that appear rational and acceptable socially mm-hmm. is a call is a call for, for parliamentary reform. I, I see, I guess, where, you know, Europe is a few steps ahead of us, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and this happened also in Italy just uh, last month where uh, it was a dispute between Fudoa and Five Riders in Italy where the Italian Supreme Court decided that food delivery drivers should have the same status as an employee. Yeah. So actually the decision was not to say that they were employees, but that they should benefit from the same status as an employee. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, yeah. And that, which we're going to come to in um, in uh, Fedora, because that's there's a, there was a case in Australia about that. Because uh, we did a blog, I don't remember, but I think that went differently because they, they disappeared from Australia. Do you, what happened with, because you looked at that, I'm sure. Yes, I did. So in Fedora, um, actually, they found that the delivery rider was an employee uh, rather than an independent contractor, such as in the Uber case. And again, I feel like we've said a lot, that really turned on control. So the key distinction in the Fedora case was that one, they were paid an hourly rate and a delivery fee, and also they were allocated shifts, so start times, finish times, locations, and those shifts were allocated to employees based on a ranking rating system based on when they were working, how fast their deliveries were, things like that. So if they were available, they were then being given more shifts and allocated more opportunities to work. Yeah. Therefore, exercising a greater deal of control over the riders. And a little bit more of a traditional employment model, so you can see how it went yeah. that way. Yeah. When was that one again? 2017, I, I think. Around about then. I know we, we did a blog. Mm. No, because I was just thinking, I feel like these digital platforms are kind of learning from each other. Is like, <laughs> I, just, I know, think so. That, yeah, because I yeah. think there's also, um, not to keep going back to it, but it's just one that's been in the news a lot, just about the way that they do change their their contracts, um, even like not not just in Australia, but from what they learn from their their cases overseas. Yeah. Well, they're in the forefront. I mean, they are the, yeah. the the they they were the innovators really yeah. when it came to this. But but the but the interesting thing is, and I, and I think we'll we'll get to this 
more and you know a lot of people are sort of bashing some of the digital platforms like um for these practices but make no mistake we all love it we're all using it it exists because we want it i I don't think anyone's solution is to not have these services Mm -hmm. it's just a case of how do we how do we incorporate it yeah partly why the quotes are so reluctant to uh well hypothetically could be yeah well look when the courts are but the thing is the courts it's can only place. that's right yeah. that's yeah. right and they, and they know it better than anybody yeah. um that you know it's it's their place to interpret the law and, and you know in some instances law is made in that common law sense but but where where society changes in a way that the, the, the courts can't keep up with from the common law sense that's where you need the parliament to come yeah. in yeah. And, it, and it's really a case of what the parliament. So we yeah. so we interrupted like, you. So what else happened in Europe? Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure Europe's not finished. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but almost. <laughs> yeah, so no, what we can see is that in Europe the courts had similar views on this, and they all like all the courts in Europe rely on the factor that the platform decides when and how workers work and how much they are paid. That's a criteria they really rely on to yeah. make their decision. But however, like and that's the thing you were saying like, about Australia, what we note also is that the European Commission, even if all the courts in the different countries are making decisions on that issue, is still struggling with the proposal of legislation in Europe that will yeah. apply in all the European Union. And the only suggestion so far has been to tweak competition rules to allow for bargaining rights for gig workers or offer employment protection to anyone who works for a client or another person and doesn't hire other people or employ significant materials yeah. or capital. Yeah. So that's the options that are today looking at. Yeah, so so in, in terms of that providing that additional protection but not changing their status, like in yeah. effect creating... Like another, another class. Another class that would yeah, benefit yeah. from it. Which is interesting because in Australia when there has been chat about uh, introducing this uh, status of a, of a worker, between something between an employee yeah. and an independent contractor, um, one of the, the ways that um, you know other legal scholars have suggested that we can protect these workers is to introduce uh, collective bargaining rights. For them, them. yeah. But United Kingdom... Which always do things differently. <laughs> <laughs> to the rest of Europe? Yes. Yeah. Well, I was living there when they were deciding whether or not to join Europe. That was a very interesting oh. discussion. People were most offended. The primary thing they were offended about is that milk had to be sold in litres instead of pints. That was, <laughs> was going to make the, the absolute sky fall in. Yes, and, understandably. <laughs> yeah, but the way, you know, in the end when it rolled out, it was like you'd get your milk and it would say one pint and underneath it would say 0.637 litres <laughs> and, uh, and we survived. Yeah. <laughs> but, so how yeah, have so they handled the, this? Yeah, in the United Kingdom, so Uber drivers or in like general so delivery driver are classified as workers. Yeah, and right. that's the status in between employees and contractors in the United Kingdom. And within that status, they would benefit from a greater protection than if they were an independent contractor. Which is, it's it's interesting because it is, it's different. Yeah, but it's not dissimilar because what we were saying in in terms of the fact that do you you give 
independent contractors additional rights and thereby creating this third class. Like you could create it anyway. Yeah. And the funny thing is, and this is really important in the Australian concept that is commonly misunderstood, is that we already have some additional classes of contractors. Um, and I think you were going to talk about that, Essie, because I think that's something that we get, you know, we, we have the common law, but then we also have various bits of legislation that deem people to be employees for the purpose of that. So you were going to talk about some examples of... Yeah, yeah. So, so again, I think you've covered it a little bit there that, you know, if, if a court makes a finding that a contractor is an employee, then they get all of the benefits and all of the entitlements that an employee would. Um, but contractors can also be deemed to be an employee, but only for that very limited purpose for which they're deemed to be an employee. Yeah. So, for example, with superannuation, the Superannuation Guarantee Act contains provisions for circumstances where businesses are required to pay the 9.5% superannuation guarantee contribution to contractors. Um, and that's covered in Section 12 of the Superannuation Guarantee Act. Uh, it states that if a person works under a contract that is wholly or principally for the labor of the person, then the person is an employee of the other party to the contract. So it's probably not the easiest to follow being read out loud, but the um, ATO has broken this down for us. So it's been clarified that the superannuation provision only applies to contracts where the contractor receives the payment for their personal labor and skills. The contractor performs their work personally, meaning it's not uh, delegated and cannot be delegated to somebody else. And the contractor is not paid to achieve a specific result, but paid for their, their labor, their skill, their knowledge. So, for example, a doctor is not trying to achieve a specific result. They're just providing their, their medical expertise and their time. Um, and by contrast, a cabinet maker yeah. hired to build a table is trying to achieve a specific result. So their end game is to provide their client with a table. I'm still not convinced. We've had this discussion about whether it's a cabinet maker either. Had to include the cabinet maker example <laughs> just for that reason. We weren't sure if it was a carpenter. So if anyone knows what a person that makes a table professionally is called, please email us immediately. <laughs> one of the most common misunderstandings, and it's really important that you raise that then, one of the most common misunderstandings I've come across in employment practice when, when helping employers with this is this idea that the superannuation legislation and that ATO ruling where it deems employment, that it's deeming employment across the board um, and it's not. And so a lot of the discussion around the case law with that ATO ruling has been about this kind of uh, these new tests, like the tests that you read out being the test of employment or independent contractors. And it's not because what, what we legitimately have in Australia is we have um, employees independent contractors at common law and then independent contractors at common law that are deemed to be employees for superannuation purposes. And so we have that third class already. And I want to ask you guys in a minute what you think about what, what the way forward should be. But one of the reasons I'm against the idea of creating a, another class is that we have the classes. And in fact, we have more because you've got, you know, payroll tax. And workers' compensation. Workers' compensation. And I think that's the other thing that, that really we probably need to talk about because we, we, we've talked a lot about the abandonment of food and here I am getting very worried about where my cheeseburger is <laughs> going to end up when, when I've paid for it. But but really one of the key things from an from a employee protection standpoint is actually are these people insured? But, you know, it's been a long 
a very important part of our industrial history in the um, in, in the developed world. You know, since the industrial revolution, is the idea that people, if they're injured at work, the 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 employment. Um, community and the business community need to ensure those workers and look after those workers. Yeah. We can't let them fall into just this, this sort of social welfare system and even worse as it used to be in, you know, in, in the olden days, if you like, where a, where a worker was injured in a, in a factory during the Industrial Revolution and then their family were were destitute because of that. So yeah, the, and this is a big issue because yeah. actually independent contractors would not have white workers' compensation. Yeah. And what happens that's an issue after the days of five delivery riders in Australia since September. Yeah. Um, where the family um, of those delivery drivers um, this year they decided to file the worker compensation claim. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, still ongoing, so we don't know if they will yeah. benefit from, from it. And, and the problem being that, you know, and I, I've had some chats with with various um, service providers and, um, and really like the, the CTP insurance in, in, in many ways is going to cover people. You know, if you're riding a bicycle and you get, get hit by a car, then, then that compulsory third-party insurance is going to cover you on one degree, but then also you might even some of the providers have got insurance policies that they provide you know, under the group insurance, et cetera. And there are schemes, but I think the important thing about workers' compensation insurance is Whatever you think of the scheme, I, I, I know people have had bad experiences. Certainly, I've helped some employers with that. But the workers' compensation scheme, the importance of it is that it's a universal scheme that not just provides um, insurance for medical expenses arising out of work, but insurance for income maintenance mm -hmm. and, and then a statutory regime for both protection of, of injured workers as well as probably the most important thing being how is that that worker rehabilitated, reintroduced to work, and you know it's it's a it's an unwieldy scheme that a lot of people don't like, but it, it does perform a very important function, and it, it is a bit troubling, the idea of people slipping in and out of it um, when they're doing you know jobs and particularly jobs at, at a at a lower income level, I think. But so how where where is that? It's still still in. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's still ongoing, so, yeah. We'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. What's the way forward, though? Do we need, how do we resolve this? I like, and I'm going to go first, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Californian law, and that's, I, I know that, you know, a country that recently had people storming the capital to prevent an inauguration is maybe not the best example today, but I still <laughs> like this law. <laughs> California dealt with this in 2018. Um and it was through the Dynamex case um, and they created the ABC law. Um, that's still recently been adopted by Parliament. It's then been challenged and it's been affirmed as of last year. And that is basically a, sorry, I think not dissimilar to the French, but the emphasis is slightly different in the sense that there's a, there's a presumption that someone's an employee and like three limbs of a three-part test need to be satisfied. And A is, is the worker free from control and direction both as a question of contract and as a question of fact. And it's interesting they draw that distinction of contract and fact, because this is what it would appear to have been the, um, the issue before Justice Bromberg. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, this is what the contract says, but actually he said the real world. You know, the, so question of contract and fact, 
part B is does the worker perform work outside the usual course of the hiring entity? Mm. Um, and I think that's the one that's going to bring a lot of people in because really what they're saying is if this is your core business, those people are employed by you. Um, if they're performing the core. So, you know, really the distinction being that a, that a bookkeeper that comes into a, to a law firm mm. or, or even doesn't come in but works remotely for a law firm doing, doing sort of uh, accounts or, um, you know, payroll, et cetera, is outside the core, the usual, usual core of the hiring entity. But if we're talking about lawyers or solicitors, et cetera, mm. they're not going to be able to be independent contractors. They're, they're employees. Um, part three of the test is, is the worker customarily engaged in an independently established trade or business? So has the worker genuinely established their own trade or business or has the contract relationship been established unilaterally by the principal? And, and that's the example that we're, again, talking about with, the, um, with, that, with that French model where, where they talk about um, managing the clients themselves choosing how to exercise the task. So it's all part of this control, but that's quite a robust test and it's had quite a lot of pushback. But I I think that my preference is to have a, a legislative system that allows certainty. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, Uber um, and those types of companies should not exist because we want them to exist. Um, but there, there needs something has to give. Um, and I think in, in those instances, I would prefer the certainty. And I certainly think that employers that, that speak to me regularly about the difference between independent contractors and employees, most of them would just prefer to have the legal certainty so they know how to plan their affairs. Mm -hmm. If it means their prices have to go up, if it means the business model has to change, that's fine. But, you know, we're in a fairly absurd situation where the Fair Work Act, for instance, the sham contracting provisions of the Fair Work Act will actually create a penalty, civil penalty provision, and fine an employer $56,000 for misrepresenting an employment relationship as an independent contractor relationship. Mm -hmm. Yet the same legislation refuses so to define. Yeah. What is an independent yeah. Contract? So I'm going to penalise you for getting it wrong, <laughs> but I'm a little bit too nervous to actually have a go at saying what it is myself. So it is a bit of it's something that's, that's got to give. Lots of people like the idea of a third category. This is what I, you know, the problem with the third category is it's a bit of a cop out, then, isn't it? Because you're not really solving the issue. And I don't know if it is because I'm thinking that there is still room for independent contractors and then this gig economy which also just i don't know is clearly what the market wants as we've kind of kind of discussed and touched on um and again we have those saving provisions already for independent contractors so whether or not we need to change that test about what makes an employee when really what we need is parliament to say what what does um you know where, where does the gig economy kind of where do those workers fit in um so I, I wouldn't be opposed to having the third kind of employment status like yeah. that, but um, still with the I, I like the second part of the the California test. The, yeah, the, the, that has if you're in the core business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I like the collective bargaining as well. I yeah, think those could work together. I think they're important Was that, yeah. because I think what, what the danger of the third category is if you start because I mean we've already had some issues I think in Australia with with the identity of casual employment, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's a big push because there's been the over-casualization of the permanent workforce. There's no question that that's happened. 
But I think there's this big push, you know, from the union movement, for instance, to sort of almost abolish casualness. And people want to be casual employees. They they genuinely do. Yeah. Flexibility. That's right. That's right. So perhaps if that wasn't so. Well, if the third category, the gig category, ends up being a loophole where yeah. people employ them, they change their model to sort of end up disenfranchising the genuine casual too, because um, you'd want to see things definitely like the general protection provisions, freedom of association freedom of victimization against you know exercising a workplace right discrimination all of those things you'd want to see i mean to a certain degree i think there should be some unfair dismissal coverage for these gig workers if if a a regular systematic casual gets unfair dismissal coverage which i think they should then what about the two-year uber eats and so do you then have to change the jurisdiction to to accommodate these people and this is going to be an unpopular idea but perhaps the real question is whether we deem all of these guys to be employees mm. but create more flexibility in the employment regulation and and i know that when when you say those dirty words flexibility in the regulation of employment people automatically think you're sort of a capitalist and you mm. you wanting to tread on people's throats and all the rest of it which which is not but but that, but is part of the problem might be the be the extent to which we regulate casual but that could employment. be the, the solution and yeah. actually the company just eat which is a british platform yeah they've announced really recently that they will hire drivers under permanent contracts of employment in europe yeah and they advance on that and that may distinguish them from other companies such as Deliveroo and Uber. Yeah, right. And they offer a model more sustainable to those employees. Which it is, but I, um, and I'm, I, this is a presumption and I'm cynical and I'm not saying this is true, but I can't help thinking that must be more expensive. Who will be? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'd mind paying a little bit more if I know that they're treating people right. Exactly. And all that stuff, so. S- same, same here. But whether that but, happen. <laughs> But that is, is yeah. does that then almost become the status of charitableness? You know, I, I'm a, okay, and I go left field here. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in the regulation of the egg industry. Like I love eggs, and I love chickens. And it's like, why should the consumers decide free range versus cage eggs? It shouldn't be the consumer's choice. Mm-hmm. As a society, we say, okay, let's regulate eggs and let's not allow battery hens but yeah. it's like that's one area of life where we've said, okay, no, let the consumer be responsible. And yeah, I think in, in, in that, that sense... That will be the same in here. Yeah, let it will be. Let the consumer decide if they want to order food from a company who treats well as an employee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or another company well, when you will know that maybe they yeah. don't benefit from the same protection, yeah. but you will pay less. That's, yeah. And from that perspective, I, I do think... It, it shouldn't be just something that's up to the market, but it's it's in the UK. I didn't say it's it's a British platform. It's a British platform that opera in Europe. Yeah, right. And but in in the UK they did have that worker status, and I should have clarified that with with my whole argument that there should be that that third kind of status. Well, it's an, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. <laughs> There's no answer. But 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 they did have, for example, their equivalent of unfair dismissal protection. So like that's yeah. that kind of so that they would have some of what employees already have without disrupting things too much to the point of wiping them off yeah. off the face of the market. So yeah. Couldn't you say though, so if 
if the consumer wants something and there's pressure on the market to deliver, isn't that already a sign that that's what society wants and that it should be regulated anyway? Yeah, it should be, but it's a case of balancing. It's a case of asking society to be honest with itself too mm-hmm. because um, not everyone, you know, has the time to be super well-informed about these things, but I complain all the time about people that will in good faith be saying, I think you know, um, all hospitality workers should get $30 an hour and they should all be permanent and um, I can't believe they charged me more than $3.50 for a coffee, even mm. though coffees have been like $3 for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't believe my Vegemite toast cost me $5. So ultimately if we want these things, we have to pay. And if we, if it means we have to have them less, then we have to have them less. But, you know, I'm a believer in 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 absolute workplace protections for everybody that works. I, I, I'm really hesitant about a third category because I, I think that's going to have massive unintended consequences and just become the new casual because, and this is the the, the problem, we, you know, the great example is in the modern awards, um, the minimum engagement for casuals. I mean, if we want to have a system, I like the idea of people being able to work for three or four platforms and get whatever job they want, and mm-hmm. that's not compatible with minimum engagement. I mean, it kills that opportunity. The idea that you have to work for three hours for minimum, for, one. Yeah. for the same, yeah, for the same, yeah, for the same, yeah. So, so th- there's really I see two options. We go, okay, let's create this third class mm-hmm. for digital mm-hmm. platform workers and socially acknowledge they're less important than casuals because that's really what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And, or we say, okay, let's make everybody casuals, but let's have a look at the minimum engagement and see if there's a better way under the modern awards of, of factoring minimum engagement. Okay. And I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah but saying, then, of yeah. course, there's going to be a lot of pushback because people are going to say, oh, you know, hospitality workers are now going to be called into work for... <laughs> for, for 20 minutes. or <laughs> to make three Yeah, which is, which is not fair either. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a case of... Um, you know, it's a case of finding a new model and I, and I certainly with the rigidity of the um, industrial instrument system, the modern awards system, and I, and I certainly think that, and I'm a big fan of it, as you know, historically, the Australian system. However, it, 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 something's got to move. I think it's it really comes down to being a question of what are we prepared to pay for and what are we prepared to see. I'm, I'm in favour of, of an overhaul generally. Um, I think that's more equitable. So we've got three choices. It's either give up on innovation altogether and not have these services. We create a third class or we recognise them as being employees and then create flexibility within the employment system. That's Mm -hmm. my preference, but complicated it would. (laughs) (laughs) Do you reckon we're done? Anything we've missed? All right. Well, thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening if you made it this far in. Um, As I said, we're going to try and do this monthly now. um, Please uh, subscribe or or share if you want to. We're on um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think we're personally on LinkedIn as well. If you want to connect or or stalk us, feel free. Um, If you've got questions about today um, or a subject you'd like us to podcast about in the future, Also, um, send us an email or leave us a comment. Um, 
I've been meaning to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Brendan, who asked us ages ago to do something on workplace investigations, and that's in the schedule. I don't know when, but I promise that will be um, in the next couple of months. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Um, We look forward to talking to you again in the next month or so. Thanks, guys. Thank you.